Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to this edition of the John Papaloni Show. Today, we have Taylor Willingham. Taylor, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. Absolute pleasure. Why don't we start off asking you what you do, who you are, and how you got there, or who you are, what you do, and how you got there. Uh, my name is Taylor Willingham. I, I run a law firm. I'm an estate planning probate, do business formations. I help people uh, with those type of issues. I also own a title company. Um, I've started a bunch of businesses and um, I basically, I consider myself an attorney, but uh, I'm an entrepreneur myself. I've started a lot of businesses. Awesome. Now, one thing I want to get into here, actually, what's uh, piquing my interest here is uh, estate planning. And I want to touch upon that a bit here in the beginning. And my reasoning is that one thing I noticed that uh, because, you know, as you know, I have my realtor's license and stuff. And I noticed that a lot of people, especially investors, they get into stuff, but not many people think about estate planning. What ends up happening is they get the properties. And, you know, even though we all say, oh, one of these days we're going to pass on and move on, blah, 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 blah. And nobody actually, it's just a saying until something bad happens or until you get a scare and then it becomes real. Like many times I'm, I'm, going to let you answer this, but I'm pretty certain that a lot of times when you get deal with estate planning, you're getting people that are approaching you after someone got really sick or got a scare of some sort, and then all of a sudden they decide it's important. Um, let, let, let's get into that and uh, maybe get into uh, you know who you usually see at what point in their life and uh, the importance of it. Yeah. So in estate planning, I really see a broad range of people. It's really, I've noticed it's more geared towards organized people, unorganized people, like people who are really organized, which was a strange thing. This is weird. I, I don't know how to kind of uh, put it in any other way than uh, for some reason, I noticed most of my clients were left-handed that <laughs> actually came in and did, and I, I had no idea why that was. And I'm guessing it's because it has to do something with organization and, and getting estate planning done. So I've noticed the people who get it done are usually more organized people. They love to, that feeling that things are all tidied up and and done exactly how they're supposed to be done uh, it gives them comfort and that's usually who gets it done but i've also found that some of my most difficult clients like i have one client that um he was a usually it's someone that's very artistic that's because they don't really think about it and they're kind of forced into it and i had one client and he's this he's a pretty famous uh person and i just remember going to his house because he, he didn't even want to come to my office i had to go to him and i had to go to his house and i show up and they're like oh we're waking him up and like you know we had to go through this whole process of just getting him down it took an hour and a half for him to get to the actual signing but it was because he had someone forcing him to do it his is uh basically personal assistant was like you need to get this organized and that's really what gets people to do this is somebody or something either drives them or they're just naturally organized people, but there's no really way of like knowing, Oh, this is the day I should do it. You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Cause and I'm not going to lie. I've uh, procrastinated on that as well. I mean, I'm not exactly uh, leading by example here, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, that was one thing that uh, I seem to find that I think myself personally from experience of what I think and what I've seen as well as my own thing. I don't think people, I think people acknowledge that, uh, you know, their mortality, but I don't think people want to think about it. Yeah. And it's one of those things that if you put on blinders and say it's not there, it's almost like you fool yourself to believe it's not there. 
Yeah. Have you ever started the process yet? Like, have you ever gotten into it and gone, okay, I'm going to start doing it. And then, you know, got sidetracked. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I did it once my parents passed, I thought about doing it. So I started it and then I said, okay, I'll get back to, it. I never did. And then things have changed since. So even what I started wouldn't even apply to today. And then I just never went back to it. And for the last year and a half, I kept saying, uh, you know, since I've acquired more, uh, you know, land for a lack of better description. Uh, I started saying, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. It's uh, a year and a half later since I started that. And uh, no, I haven't done anything. And sorry, what state are you in? I'm in Canada, actually. I'm in, uh, oh, in, in, in like Toronto, Ontario is the uh, most notorious, notorious uh, part of it, right? I mean, I'm actually west of Toronto, but if I say Burlington, there's not everybody will know where that is. But if I say Toronto, people generally will know. Yeah. So, but yeah, your story is like, most of us, even I was an estate planning attorney for two years with three children and I still hadn't got it done. And it was, I look at it and go, gosh, I got to do that. I got to do that. I got to do that. And me, I, I finally got it done. The other big time it really hit me that I, I was like, oh my gosh, I got to redo this was um, right when COVID was happening. And I realized like we, we really had this huge influx of people passing away, especially when I started to see people my age and the people were coming in and going, Hey, this person, he was, he was in his, uh, you know, he's around 40 and he passes away from COVID. I'm like, wow, that's, it started hitting me more. And so then I re redid it and I'm now doing it for the, I think this is my fourth time I'm redoing my estate planning, but I've changed my mind on things. And so I'm restructuring things. Right. Makes sense. Now you would think I'd, I'd find it more urgent than I did. Because, uh, you know, you're, you notice people passing, you know, based on COVID. Um, yeah. By the time I hit 40 years old, half the people I went to high school are dead. Wow. And they all, and the one, and the bulk of that half that I'm talking about died somewhere between the age of 25 and 32. Whoa. So I don't know if there was something in the water that, uh, that, that year or what the hell's going on, but... You know, I mean, some of it was uh, stupidity. There's been a couple of people that overdosed. And as far as I'm concerned, if you're going to play with that drug, you know, what do you think is going to happen? I'm not I'm saying that addiction is not a problem. People don't have issues and they don't need help. All I'm saying is the fact that it's one of those things. If you're jumping in fire constantly, sooner or later, it's going to burn. You know what I mean? Like it's it's, it's predictable. But yeah, in a lot of, that is that is a very interesting thing that I've seen. So before COVID. For me to do a probate for somebody under the age of 65 was really rare, really, really rare. And then I remember that was about a year, maybe two years ago, uh, my paralegal came to me and goes, do you realize the last seven people we did a probate for uh, all are under 65? And it was one of the most shocking things to me because before that, I would say it was maybe one every three months would be somebody younger that we end up having to do a probate for. So something really has changed. And a lot of it, yeah, to your point, is suicide's a huge factor right now. Overdose, you know, drug addiction problems are a huge factor. And so I, I, I recognize those two. But there's something else that's going on that I don't know what it is. Hopefully the health industry, the, department or whoever's in charge of figuring this out can tell us why so many young people are passing away in since ever since COVID started. Yeah, exactly. But moving along. Um, so obviously we illustrated the importance of having a state plan because you just don't know when it's going to happen. And 
some of the ramifications of not getting it done, you know, you're basically putting the burden on your uh, on whoever's left over. Yes, and th- those disasters that happen when you don't actually plan it through. Yeah. Now, if you ask somebody, uh, would you like to let the government decide where your uh, money goes and where your uh, assets go while you're alive? They're going to say, well, no. So why would you want it, uh, the burden on the government when your family's around? Yeah. And it's a lot of times I actually wrote a book called Why Should I Care? I'll Be Dead, because that's what people would say to me all the time. So I'm like, OK, I'm going to answer the question. And I tried to tell people like the reason why you do this is because you want to preserve the relationships that you've created and make that transfer of property as simple as possible. But more importantly, it's so those people don't fight with each other and, you know, tear your family apart. You spent your whole life developing those relationships and then go, ah, I just don't care. Well, it seems very foolish in, in doing that in your life. Yeah, absolutely. You said you've been into many businesses, right? So like what, like have they all been, what am I trying to say here? It's like, yeah, like, like what kind of industries have you gotten into? Like, have they all been around like, like the same kind of industry? Like I, I've been in multiple businesses myself and none of them are relatable to each other, but some people sort of like, you can sort of follow the lead where they start off in one industry and then they can, and you can see the progression reminds me all over the place. Yeah. So when I was in law school, I started a real estate company buying real estate. It was probably the biggest mistake I ever made was I was sitting in law school one day and this, this uh, guy that I really admire, he just gets up and he leaves. And I'm like, where are you going? And he goes, oh, come with me, come with me. And so I get in the car and I went to Texas Tech University and we uh, drive to this house and he goes, it was a dump. And he goes, this house, and it's just two streets down from the law school. And he goes, it's worth, they're selling it for $15,000. He goes, I can put three students in that house, each charging them 600 bucks a month. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, and so I started buying houses. He was buying houses and we, we were going at it. And he decided very wisely to stay in, uh, keep buying real estate. He went and got a job and stayed in real estate, kept buying buying homes. I sold my homes to start a law firm. And so uh, he's retired now <laughs> and I'm still working. And, and he's he's done very, very well for himself. Uh, he, he's, he's ended up buying apartment complexes because he just understands the concept. So I started off in real estate, used that money to start my law firm. Um, and then as, as I was going through law, I was then presented with an opportunity to get a title company. Um, in, in the state of Texas, we have things called fee offices, which is where lawyers can run title companies. And those two companies, they used to be under my law firm, but now they're two separate. I, I transformed my title company to its own title company. Um, and then I've I've gotten back into investing in real estate because I consider it one of the best ways to actually generate wealth and keep wealth. And so I have a bunch of properties again. And um, I started other companies, but they've all kind of failed other than the ones that correlate with what I do through my law firm and title company. So, but I kept, I'm this, I call them like a serial entrepreneur. You just keep starting businesses. And I have that problem. 
And so I've learned for me, the best has been if I keep it with what I do daily, then it, they, they work and they've come to be, uh, come together better. But um, I've made the problems. I, I, I started a software company and it's on its last leg right now because realized you should be, uh, you need to be somebody in the software industry to really start a software company. Right. Now, here's the other point, right? And I found the, the same thing. I love to be involved in many different things. The issue is that um, it's not necessarily that you can't learn it, but the problem is how many things can you do per day? Right. Yeah. So what happens is let's be honest, uh, your uh, core, core, core business is your law firm and everything else branches from there. Yeah. So if you're focusing on the software, you're neglecting the law firm. If you're focusing on, on uh, just real estate, you're ignoring like your attention can only be divided so much. So what ends up happening is when you're in the same realm, which is like you're in you're, you have your law firm and title title is kind of related to the law firm in a way you, you kind of do that service anyways. So they're kind of attached real estate. Well, you know, law is a portion of real estate when it comes to closings yeah. and stuff, right? So they're yeah. all hand in hand. So the information you have is in a sense is going in a circle and it's kind of helping each other and, and flowing each other where when you're going to something completely different, it's almost like you got to put the brakes over here so you can go over there and think about it. And that's really hard to do, especially if you're busy in your core business. Yeah. Now, if your core business is dead and you're on the other side, and that's dead. Maybe the problem is you, but that is not the case, but I'm just saying, right? Like, like, and that's the thing. So some, it's, you, you go where you focus, right? And that's why people say, you know, it all starts in your mind. It's not that you're going to go like this. There's no tree. There's no tree. There's no tree. Oh, there's a yeah. tree, right? Like it's what, I, that's the way people take it when you say mindset, but that's not the reality. When you say mindset is what you're focusing on is what you're going to take the time to learn and develop. And what ends up happening is other things get neglected while you're focusing on that, which is why everything has to be complementary with each other, unless it's just a pure cash investment somewhere. And that's about it. Yeah. And one of the, along the lines, exactly what you're saying, one of the best things I ever did with the title company is I hired what we call an escrow officer and I refused to learn what they did. And like, cause they would always go, well, why don't you, why don't you start getting involved? No. I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going to get, and I kept telling them that I would not get involved in it. And the good thing that what happened is, is because that developed as the title company started to develop and grow, people weren't coming to me for the answers. They were going to the escrow. They were going to the, to the actual people that were in and working it. So I could focus on being the attorney and they would come to me for legal questions, but I wasn't the person. So it's part of the reason I think it succeeded where others have failed is because I said, I am not the head person. I, this person is the head person. You go to them. And when they would come to me saying, Hey, do this or do that. I just say, I, I can't, I don't have the time. And it forced people and it forced me to figure out how to solve those problems without me doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Right. There you go. And that's my point. So look, failures aren't failures. Let's be honest. A failure is only a failure when you give up, uh, right now, they're learning lessons because you know what never to do again. Yes. And, and you know uh, what you did wrong. So you said another thing in there that, that totally was absolutely true. When I went and started the software company, it totally, it, it absolutely hurt my law firm. There was no doubt. I looking back now, I was like, oh my gosh, it, like, cause I had to focus so much time on it that my law firm suffered. And then it, that's what ended up causing all the problems is the law firm started to die. 
I had to jump back over here and then I couldn't focus on the software company. And then it's now on the last leg that it has, and I probably should just cut it off and let it go. But I keep, I, I always keep that. Oh, may, maybe I can figure it out. <laughs> well, it's because your heart's there, right? And I don't mean that your heart's not in the law firm. I mean, it's, it's piquing your interest. And when you have something that interests you, it's hard to let go because you're, you're fascinated. And when you're fascinated, what do you want to do? You want to make something that you're fascinated with work because you're fascinated. If you were bored with it or hated it, it'd be easy to drop. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I, I, I love the idea. I, I wish it, I could get it to work, but at the end of the day, the reality is I have so much time in the day and I have to focus on what actually generates the income, not what could generate income someday in the future. True. Now, stupid question. Did you ever think, uh, consider partnering with somebody on there, somebody who has the ability to spend their day doing that? And, um, you know, because you have all this money already invested in it. There's not yeah. much more for you to lose other than what's already invested. So have you considered just having a partner there that, uh, you know, could be somebody that would understand that, that circle and be able to maybe uh, bring it up to the next level? Yeah, absolutely. That, I, that was one of the things that I wanted to, the hard part is I just, I, I, because I'm not in that world, I don't know people who are that would be a great partner to partner with. And that's been my hardest part is like, okay, I jumped into a world I was not familiar with. And yes, that has absolutely been something I'm mean, like, I should, I should get to somebody and have them run it and do it and just take it on and go with it. True. So, all right. Well, that's, you know, my, that was my curiosity, right? Because well, I, I, I see your point there where, where if you're not in that circle, it's hard to know who do you trust. Yeah. And it's a great point because I need to recommit myself to go. Yeah. That's what exactly what I should do right now. I should go find somebody because I know the idea would work and hundreds, hundreds of thousands of dollars have been put into it. And somebody in the field could look at it and go, this is all we need to do and might know how simple it is to get it all put together. Yeah, exactly. Not sometimes there's companies out there that help with that, like recruitment, right? That are able to uh, get people in there, right? And maybe it's somebody to run the business. And part of the perk is that if you can make it successful, you go beyond just a salary, you can get equity in there. And that's how you build a partner. Yeah. Just a thought. Yes. I, I need to get on it. Yeah. So awesome. Now you obviously uh, learned that lesson with real estate. Like when you first said that you made the mistake, I thought you were going to say real estate investing was the mistake. And I was like, whoa, okay. That's the, you're going to be the first person that said that to me. I was going to, but uh, no, no, you meant dropping it was the mistake. Yeah. So what did you get back into now? Like, like how did you get back into it? And uh, what, are, what are the type of investments that you look into? Oh, I got back into because I, I purchased the building I run my office through. So that's what that's what I I took everything. I had I had some other rentals and then I sold everything to have everything in the company that I'm running day to day. So I'm paying into the building that I'm in. And this is part of what I'm focusing on for my retirement is as I pay off this mortgage, then I have this whole building that I have as a, a good retirement that I can have for down the road. So there's that. And then I, I still have some rentals around that, uh, that I use, but mainly right now, because this building is a fortune to, to build and do everything. We put everything into this. Got it. That, this is very interesting because, uh, so obviously you got into a commercial office uh, space. So, why it's interesting because in 2024 the uh depending what state you're in and where you are office uh office space is the top real estate properties that are falling 
Yes. You know what I mean? Especially in San Diego. San Diego, I I think that the bulk of the office building in San Diego is in trouble. Yeah. It's interesting because there's different perspectives with this. Some people think that uh, it's just a for now thing and that'll eventually bounce back. Some people wonder if this is the end of the office environment. Uh, different ways to look at it. And what's your perspective on it, considering what's going on with that and you know all the funding issues? Yeah, I I don't know if I'm correct, but uh, if you can invest in office real estate, I'd do it. The reasoning behind this is uh, I w- went to a big conference for lawyers and they had consultants there to help us because we're all suffering from the same problem. And that problem is getting people to come to work and to continue to work in professional settings. Everybody wants remote jobs and they they want their freedoms to do kind of what they want to do. And everyone, so they told us everybody, every firm we're consulting, every doctor office we're consulting, every dentist office, if it can be outsourced to another country, hire people in another country to do it. And what that's going to cause, I don't think people you know, in the United States or Canada understand, if you want this remote jobs, you now are going to be competing against the whole world for that job instead of people in your community. And you're not the best person in the world at what you do. And in fact, it's very hard to compete against 7 billion people out there. It's very easy to compete against the 10, 20,000 people that are in your small community that you have. So what I see happening as the jobs keep getting outsourced, especially companies like mine who are we're outsourcing now, the governments are gonna have to either figure out a way to stop that, start making tax problems for business owners like me who are doing that, uh, or this is gonna cause a huge unemployment problem in the United States and Canada, first world countries, because you're just not going to compete against a kid who grew up in a third world country and had to work for every ounce of ability that he has. So I think what's going to happen is you're going to see the push to get people back in the office. People are going to want to start doing that because they're going to go start looking for jobs and they're not going to be there. And the government's going to start forcing it. And so those office jobs will come back. Well, I kind of agree with you on that. Now, here, here's my perspective on it, because you touched upon some things that I think about as well. Now, I, I it's funny because everybody wants to work from home. Well, so the, does the rest of the world. Yeah. Now, here's the difference. Somebody who's on the other side of the planet who can pretty much, you know, the paying them just say six bucks an hour is like paying somebody here $40 an hour Yeah. And in terms of their lifestyle. So you're offering them $6 where work in their own country is offering them $2 an hour. They're going to jump on yours. Now, it's not even just talent, but the point is, that if you could work from home and you don't want to go to the office and the person who's hiring you has to deal with internet and emails to be able to reach you and get a hold of you and talk to you, it's the same thing for the person on the other side of the earth. So why would yeah. they pay you $30 an hour or $40 an hour when they can go and hire someone on the other side for $6 an hour? Yep. Like if it's the same hassle. The idea of having local people and having someone around here is that you want somebody to be able to be there, that you want to be able to leave your office and walk into their office and get what you need done now. Yes. And and if you take away that convenience, there's nothing that gives you an an advantage over the person on the other side of the earth that works for a fraction of the price. Yeah, and and it's more hungry too. That's like, this is their dream job. Uh, You know, being a receptionist for a dentist office 
is not necessarily everybody's dream job in America. Yeah. So, so yes. So I, I think there's either that's going to happen or we're going to see the jobs flee the country and, and then the office space. So it's going to be this, that I don't know what's going to happen. I, I'm not, I can't say for sure that, but I could see it very much shifting back at one time because I know the employers here want people back in the office. Um, yeah. I, part of my my thing, but I think the issue is that the employers are, uh, I don't want to say scared of their employees, but um, I think they become a, a very soft. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in a generation. That'll give you an example of how a company takeover would go. And people are too scared and, you know, too worried about the woke mentality to uh, do this stuff. You used to, uh, when you acquire a company, you used to walk into the company, see, you know, observe, because you would be there for six months before the official acquisition was announced. And you would see who your strong players are and your weak players are. You walk into the building, you get all your weak players together, and you let them all go. And you do that in, front, in, in a way that everyone knows you did that. And not necessarily that you let them go because the weak players, I mean, you don't announce it that way, but essentially that's what it yeah. is. And then when everyone sees that half that company got let go, the other people start going, uh-oh, right? And then they get their, their ass in gear. And what ends up happening is half of that people that are left over will get their ass in gear and become your A players. The other half will conveniently find their own job, which you want to replace them anyways, because if they're not going to commit to you, it's good that they leave. Good riddance. Yeah. And then you'll get people who actually want to be there. And then at that point in time, you build up a good corporate culture that you want and, and that your business needs because you need A players, not C players. And then that's the way to do it. But today, there's so much woke mentality. There's so much uh, people trying to play politically correct and being so scared of everything that nobody's willing to do that. I mean, like, and then a couple of companies that did that, such as Facebook, uh, they got such big backlash from uh, from media yeah. that uh, when reality is what they did was best what was best for their business. That used to be celebrated. And, the, and where I'm going with this is that I'm finding the issue here is that in 2024, I mean, this has always been around, let's be clear, but it's been very, very big now. Whereas in 2024, you get a big company that's thriving and they're talking about capitalism and how it works and it's the best thing around. And, you know, you know, like if you can't make the cut, that's part of being capitalism, improve your skills. Then all of a sudden they get into trouble and they want socialism. Yeah. And you can't have both ways. I'm all for I'm a capitalist, a true capitalist. If I don't make it and I go under. It's on me. I went under. Yeah. I don't expect the government to give me money. I don't expect them to mandate me to do something. I expect I expect to go under because that's the bad choices I made. And and that's the way it should be. You're either a capitalist or you're not. It can't be both. Yeah. And I, and I, and again, it's because that what I call the woke mentality where people are trying to appease people. I think we need to stop trying to look good instead of doing good. Yeah. And you know, that's the one of the best things that can ever happen is for you to fail and for a company to fail because it clears out the opportunity for other people that are actually competent and that can actually get things done. And so it's weird that we've gotten into this environment where we're constantly saving everything from failing. Well, one of the problems is we allow businesses to get too big and they, you know, they monopolize the industry. And then if they do fail, it's a huge problem, but you got all these other like even if you're running a business and you're going to fail sometimes that's the best thing that ever happens to you because it resets you and you go, okay yeah i now can figure out what i did wrong because we have this problem as humans we like grab on to things that that are just dying and we hold on to it forever and then it just keeps dragging us down with it without just going okay 
it's gone. It, I'll just let this go. And then all of a sudden the world opens up to you and you go, look at all these opportunities you have. Absolutely. Now, the other thing that we have is this raising money thing. Um, I grew up in an era where you celebrated a profit. You know, you, you have your first three years that, you know, on the good side, you, you broke even. Yeah. And uh, once in a while, you take a loss in those three years. But then you get to year four and you start to see a little profit. Then year five, you see more profit. Now, by the time you get to year six and you see real profit, you're celebrating that. Today, kids are going out there raising money and saying, I got $4 billion. Your product's not even ready. You don't know if it's going to work. You're celebrating the fact that you have investors to give you money, which is sort of like a fancy loan. Yeah. Yeah. That's not something to celebrate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the problem with cheap money. When money's cheap, people will take these risks that are just foolish. And there's so many companies that millions upon millions of dollars were given to people that were totally incompetent. And I think it was, I think maybe it was Elon Musk that said something along those lines, like, you know, capital has to get into competent people's hands. Like it's in incompetent people's hands. Then it gets thrown around to stupid projects that just don't work. Yeah, exactly. Now, where I think commercial is going to, uh, you know, commercial, uh, you know, spaces are going to go and not completely. I think, I think, like you said, the professionals like doctors, dentists, lawyers, you know, stuff like that, where I think those buildings will not change. I think maybe they'll, uh, the way they look might change, the infrastructure might change, but the actual space itself, you know what I mean? Like as technology will come in, more technology will come in and it'll become more tech savvy and it'll become more technology in the building, but the same four walls that house them will not change. Yeah. So where I think the change will be is for everyday regular business, you know, that, um, stuff like we work i mean that one flopped but that's because I, I attribute that one to overspending and over uh you know over expanding and and again people sometimes get overzealous and they overdo themselves and get themselves into trouble again another one that relied on people throwing in capital and then uh, didn't really actually make money and tried to expand before they even made profit so again i'm not going to bash another company i don't mean it that way i'm just giving my perspective on that because there's many other companies that are similar to we work that actually are succeeding. Mm -hmm. And again, uh, you know, it's uh, the, the whole shared office space. I think that's going to become more, more uh, common where companies are going to uh, downgrade from having their own floor to maybe, you know, integrating with two different companies that maybe complement each other. It might be like one uh, might be an accounting firm and the other one might be a law firm as an example. I mean, I, I don't think that's the case, but I'm giving you like, well, that could actually work. Yeah. You know what I mean? You get one massive floor, have one half accounting, one half uh, law. That could actually work because they complement each other, right? Especially when it comes to uh, business and real estate. Yeah. So something like that, you know, and I can see people sharing office space like that. And I can see that being our future. Yeah. I mean, that's how I, that's how I, that was like my middle step. I had my, I had an office that was in a bank. That's how I got started. Then I went to, it was kind of like a shared, it was these guys from, up north that came down and they built this building that there's everybody in there pretty much had their a different business and shared common area inside the building and then that's what springboarded me to be able to buy my own own place eventually so yeah so i can see that happening so I, I get how you got into the commercial space what i'm surprised in is that yeah i guess if all your resources are in the commercial space that makes sense um right now the the big hot topic is uh, multifamily and apartment buildings and stuff like that. It's uh, the stuff that piques my interest. Uh, but that's because I believe uh, residential is, I personally believe in today, residential is the safest place out there because people need a place to live. Yes. Now, I think single family homes are the worst type of investments you can make. 
I don't even think the one you live in is an investment. Everyone keeps saying, well, the house is my investment. No, that's your place to live yeah. because sell it and tell me where you're going to live. Now, if you're going to sell it, take the equity you made in it and then live on the ditch, then okay, then it's an investment. But if you're going to go and buy another one, all you did is transfer money. Yeah. Yeah. In Texas, we use our, because we have uh, homestead exemptions, which give you an unlimited, it's our asset protection tool. So that's why, that's why people have big houses in Texas is because no one can take your house from you if you ever get sued or anything like that. And so it's, it's part of that structure. And yeah, we have the issue of, especially because I mean, like in the United States, we have this big, huge problem that we've underbuilt for a long time and houses, I know they're exorbitant right now and it's going to continue to be a problem but we're still not building enough homes. And so apartment buildings are big. Um, I'm in the North Dallas area, so we really don't have any problems pretty much other than people not selling their homes because there's no place to really go and they don't want to go get a high interest right now. They have a low one. Um, but like commercial wise, we really don't have problems. They're building office spaces around here like crazy, but that's just because this area is getting is blowing up people are moving to this area to to live and stuff so we don't have the problems like in the northeast where or san francisco where companies are fleeing right yeah and that's the other point i'm going to say right now there's this is a great opportunity see the stuff we're talking about it is doom and gloom for some yeah but it's opportunity for others now we're going to tell you the significant difference between canada and the u.s and it's ironic. What like as 2008 was devastating for you guys, right? Yeah. And for us, it was nothing. It was like, what are people talking about? Yeah. Oh my God. We waited for a month to buy a house because we weren't sure if we were going to be affected. So we sat still for one month when we realized it had nothing to do with us and it didn't affect us in any way, shape or form. We moved on and houses actually skyrocketed while you guys were suffering. Now, where I'm going with this is that it's the difference in policies that made it that way. Now our difference on policies, the very same policies that uh, made 2008 nothing for us is the same damn policies that are uh, destroying us now. And here's what I mean. You guys get that uh, interest rate for just say 2.9%. You're on a 30 year fixed. Guess what? You're there for 30 years. Yeah. So what happens is you already know you can make your $1,600 a month payment. You've been making it all along. The fact that interest rate changes, the only thing that affects is your line of credit. So don't use your line of credit and you're still good in shape. Yeah. Right? So that no harm, no foul. Now ours, we may get a 30-year fixed as in the and all that means for us is that a bank agrees to lend it to you for 30 years. But the interest rate fluctuates. It does not stay the same. Now you have a contract for five years or three years, whatever you sign up to, and that five years comes up, guess what? You get the new interest rate. So there's a lot of people coming up in this year, next year, uh -huh. that that five years is up. So you started off, you got approved for that 2.9. Now today is 5.8. Now that 5.8 from 2.9, that's 3% more. That's almost double your payment. So, and uh, those, those are going to be the ones that are going to be in trouble. So I was told, I was told this about, Ken, I don't know if it's true. Is, do you guys have like 40 year mortgages? Is that? No, okay. we don't have anything more than 30 and usually 30 is going to be when you enter it. So you, you, it's really complicated that way where we're 30 years, very few people get it. Let's put it that way. Okay. But now what's happening, and I'm not sure if this passed, this was proposed and I'm not sure if it's passed because they're realizing that scenario I just gave you, they're realizing many, many Canadians are going to be in trouble. Right now, we're also the most unaffordable 
uh, yeah. country around. Like we're growing faster than every other unaffordable country in terms of uh, the affordability rate. Like, like it's like this is the number one we don't want to be at, and this is the one we're, we're like we're scaling at. So you guys, so are you guys having big like I I don't even know if this is true, but I just see I see things like on TikTok or something, and it was this lady and she was shopping, and she was trying to buy chicken, and it was like outrageously expensive. Absolutely. Like our inflation rate and our uh, affordability rate has gone down the tubes. We were never the most affordable country around. Like we were always uh, like our social standards were always way overpriced, but it got even worse now. And here's where I'm going. So to combat that, what was proposed was that uh, for people renewing, notice not new mortgages, people renewing, they if they can prove that they're in financial uh, in a financial rut as a result of this renewal, they're proposing that they allow them to do 40 and 50 year renewals um, oh. amortizations to be able to get through this rut until the interest rates do come down. Um, that was a proposal, whether it passed or not, whether it's real, I don't actually know. Now, being a mortgage guy, I should know, but I haven't seen anything yet, so I can't confirm or deny it right now. Yeah, hopefully they don't structure it like we did in the United States. So what they did in 2008 in the United States that really screwed people over is, you know, you got you got behind, so you're not paying anything. And then they go, okay, well, you're eligible to, to uh, get some assistance. And so they would, I mean, you'd have your loan and they'd redo it, but then they'd give you a second loan for all the fees and everything the bank was charging you. And so, and then they would, you know, extend things out. So the payments would get lower, but it really just, it didn't help people because at the end of the day, now they have two loans and they're, you know, yeah, it did lower your monthly cost. But then when they went to go sell the house, they realized they had no equity whatsoever. I just, just had one happen like two weeks ago and they fell behind and they're like, uh, we thought we were going to get some money to help us so we could, you know, at least take a year to try to figure out and go back. But now the banks come back and saying, you know, we're going to get nothing at closing. And, and it was exciting. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, we're definitely different. Like the stuff that's proposed, all it's proposing is that instead of dividing the uh, the, the payments over 30 years, they'll divide over 40 years. Now, and this is, again, not new purchases. These are renewals for people struggling. Yeah. So where the difference is here is that, like prime example, if you're on that five year that I was talking about, you've already got equity put in. Even though the some of the housing has come down in terms of price, which it will go back up. Yeah. But assuming that it is where it is, even with the decrease, if you bought your house five years ago, we're going to say five years ago would have been 2019. You would have bought that house just say at 800,000. That house would have inflated based on 2020 COVID and all that crap all the way to about 1.5 million. Now today's with that with today's decrease, you're at 1.2. So you still have equity plus from that 3% interest rate you've had since 2019 to today, you would have managed to pay down another 50 grand. So if you put 800,000, just say you put in 160, so your equity would still be 210. You'd have that 210. The difference is when you're uh, when you made your $2,000 a month mortgage payment. I mean, this is not accurate. Don't do it by calculator to anybody watching because <laughs> it's not going to add up. I'm giving you an example. Yeah. Um, now, when you do that $2,000, the way it used to be is that $2,000 payment a thousand used to be uh go towards principal and a thousand would be interest where today when you extend it to that 40 or 50 whatever it is that they're going to do that uh, you'd still have that two thousand dollar payment because that's what they're extending it so your payment doesn't go up the difference is instead of a thousand principal thousand interest it'll probably be 1800 interest 200 principal okay so what ends up happening you still have something building there but it'll be so low it's almost hardly worth the spit if you know what i'm saying yeah. but at least the equity you build up to until today 
is not lost. You still maintain that. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a lot better. Well, anytime we get anything in America, I always go, it's like, it's going to help the corporations or banks. It's not, we don't pass laws that help the people. So uh, Canada probably is a little bit different, but in America, we're, we're all about helping the corporation get their money. We all have different sets of problems in a way. It always rounds up to the same thing. Now, our prime minister, his, um, for like, I, I, well, he's a, he, he, he's a real, uh, interesting, real man. interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now he's so obsessed with uh, climate change that, uh, he's charging a carbon tax. Now, beyond the carbon tax, he's raising it, and he's raised it four times already, and he's going to raise it again in April, which is going to go up so much that our gas is going to be affected. Base basically, our gas, our gas, what what we put in our car, sixty-one cents a liter is going to be what's going to be just carbon tax. Wow. Like that's how much of an increase he's doing. So, which is ridiculous. So people are struggling. Instead of helping them out, what you're doing is you're raising tax, and we're already the most taxed ever. Right, like our income tax. If you make over a hundred grand, you're paying fifty four percent tax. So fifty four, and that and that's that's countrywide. That's that, that's not based on what city you're living in. What what are families? I mean, you you have to be for the normal family in Canada. Your your house prices are through the roof. You have tax house prices are through the roof. Taxes taxes are, through, are through, the through the roof. Inflation foods through the roof. So what are people doing? Like, well, that's the thing right now we're, they've been relying on that 3% loan that they've had all along, which you're about to lose, which is why the big discussion, you know, is happening in, in, uh, in parliament, because they realize that this year's the renewals are starting this year is where they're going to see the massive issues. Now, one of our uh, politicians, which is, uh, we consider conservatives, which I think is, would be equivalent to your Republicans. Yeah. Um, they're proposing that he acts as the carbon tax that will lower the cost of transportation not just for the people but for to get the food like food to the grocery yeah. stores it would help lower the um the um the the the, the cost of, for, of farmers to uh, be able to you know produce this food so that would drop food costs right there so that's one thing but he's against it because he keeps talking about uh uh climate change he goes oh we're we're not going to give up on our fight against climate change now he thinks he's giving everybody a 200 a year check and he thinks that's compensating for the thousands extra that they're spending it's, it's so ridiculous. Like this guy's a narcissist yeah. for, uh, for lack of a better description. But where I'm going with this is the fact that if you look at the stats, Canada represents 1.5% pollution of the year uh, around the world. Yeah. Now, how in the world is is 1.5%? Like even if we get to 100% carbon neutral, yeah. we represent 1.5%. We're not making an impact whether we're polluters or not. Find out where that money's going. That that will tell you the story. Where the, where hundred percent. That's that's where it goes. But there, this is something interesting. So I, I went to Ireland in December. Yeah. And they, my wife was because my wife knows the price of everything because we have five kids and so she like tracks like every little thing, and she's like everything is so much cheaper here and it's the same you know like a tooth a toothbrush for example. She's like it's like they don't have inflation here. Like she goes what's going on? This is a little island like. You have to ship all the way to this little island somewhere. How is this less expensive than in the United States? Because it used to be the opposite. You, you go to Europe and everything was way more expensive. But now it's flipped. And I'm like, I, I don't know why everything is inflating so much in costs, like food and everything. It doesn't seem like it would just be. And they keep saying, oh, well, it's because of all the supply chains just disrupted and everything like that. I'm like, well, that should have been fixed by now. I mean, I, I don't get it. Why aren't the costs coming back down? And 
And why don't they have it in Europe? What we have it in the United States and Europe has so many more problems than we do. Well, here's something sickening for you. When I get tired of spending the money here and I get sick, yeah. I book a flight to Florida and I, uh, I can spend my time in Florida for two weeks and I will save a thousand dollars a month by being in Florida, even while paying my bills here. Wow. That's because of the cost of consumption here with between food and whatever. And I remember when I'm in Florida, I eat out every day. Gosh. That's... So I can eat out every day for less in Florida than I can eat in home in Canada. And now granted, now to be clear, I go to happy hour. So we already know that's cheaper, right? Yeah. So, but the point I'm getting at is that, yes, I can't eat at 2 PM. I might have to eat between three, three to 5 PM, yeah. but you know what? I'm willing to do that if I'm getting a reduction in cost. Yeah. Go to Ireland. It's even cheaper. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Like, like in our, in our country, happy hour is a joke. Yeah. Here's an example. Like we have happy hour. And we'll use chicken wings as an example. I'm going to use that just to make it easy. Just say a normal pound is roughly around nine to 10 chicken wings. Now in happy hour, instead of paying your $16, they'll give it to you for $8.95, but you're getting six chicken wings. Yeah. So that's half. Yeah. When I go to Florida, you get the full 10 chicken wings for that $8.95. Wow. That's, yeah. I mean, that's where the, one of the differences now, you know, like beer as an example, during happy hour, it might be six, seven bucks. Yeah. Over here, it's thirteen dollars. Gosh, that's and like, our beer tax is seventeen percent. Wow, this is ridiculous, right? Like so, it's just like cell phones. Uh, now I got a corporate deal through my um, realtor thing, right? So I, I don't pay a lot. I pay fifty bucks a month per line. That's really not a lot. But take the average person who doesn't get that corporate discount. Yeah, my phone bill before I got the corporate discount, that same line was ninety five dollars. Wow. It was 120 if I wanted to be able to use it anywhere in North, in North America. Gosh. So, you know what I mean? Now, I pay $50 and I can use it anywhere in North America. But I could, all I had to do is cross the border, not mind having a Florida number, and I paid the same 50 bucks, and I could bring it here. The problem is nobody can call me here. Yeah. But that's besides that. You know what I mean? So, again, long distance is a problem here. I get a cell phone plan in the States. It doesn't matter where I call. It doesn't cost for long distance. Right. So it, it, like everything, consumption here, uh, utilities, everything is way overpriced. And, and, and again, you're taxed to death. You're taxed. You got the carbon tax. Yeah. You got your income tax. You got HST on everything you buy. Now, that which HST is like, a, you know, the combination of provincial tax and uh, which would be a state, in, you know, where you are and uh, federal tax that they charge on everything you purchase. So and if that's about 13 percent and the joke of it is the carbon tax pays HST. So you're paying tax on a tax. Yeah. Right. Like this is, is like mind boggling. Everywhere you turn, there's a new tax. Well, and that. At some point, people just figure out it's like it's better not to work because if you go make money in the systems like this, it's just not worth it because the lifestyle difference between someone who makes two hundred thousand dollars a year versus someone who makes fifty with all the social programs is not very different. Um, yeah, and it's and people don't really realize that that difference that happens. I, I've tried to explain this to business owners a lot that what kills you is not someone suing you in your business it's for us in america it's the irs it's your taxes because we'll use an example here of a business so the, there's a business where guy made uh 1.6 million dollars in 2022 and he was in the real estate industry so it was booming through the COVID years because interest rates were low well this last year he lost five hundred thousand dollars 
Well, he's almost broke now. And you're like, how did, how is a guy broke that made 1.6 million? Well, he paid almost uh, $700,000 in taxes when he made that $1.6 million. So, I mean, he had a great year. Now he makes a lot of money every year, but he, he made, so really after I think he said, when he took everything home, he made about $800,000. Right. Well, he's used to making like 400,000 a year. So that's what he spends usually. So he really only kept about $400,000 from the profit. Well, this last year he had a $500,000 loss paying all of his employees. So now he's in the hole. And so he was sitting there talking to me going, how is this possible that I made 1.6 million and now I'm negative. And that's what kills small business owners. When people say they want higher taxes, you don't realize that doctor or whoever is employing everybody in your community, if what they're talking about is taxing him. And when he has to give 50% of what he's making to the government, when the negative year happens, at least in the United States, he doesn't get to carry forward his losses. He has to take it all in that year. So he has to fire people immediately. So when bad things happen, it exacerbates the problem. And every guy that I know that tried to do the right thing and keep employees and go, I'll work through this, they're all struggling because the tax system just doesn't work when you say you want to tax people. In the United States, we really have two tax systems. Yeah, yeah. We have the working man class, we call it the income tax. And we have the rich, yeah, yeah. we have the rich man tax, we call capital gains. Well, that's a flat rate, 20%. Yeah. You know, but the income tax, that's a working man's tax. Rich people don't get paid ton in income. They have capital gains. So yeah, I, I try to say when people say that they're talking about increasing taxes, they never say capital gains. They always say we need to increase income taxes for the wealthy. Well, you're just really increasing your tax. Tax for the working man. Yeah. Exactly. I, we're the same here. That's where it's similar. Um, now, where's the difference is that uh, corporate taxes are also, there's a third one, right? Because corporations pay different income taxes than uh, personal taxes. So, and I'm set up that way too. You know what? Uh, whether personal taxes are 54% or 80%, as long as you don't change the corporate tax, I don't give a damn. Because, I mean, I care because it's the wrong thing to do. Yeah. I mean, but I'm saying in terms of affecting me personally, I don't care because keep everything in the corporation that pays 12.2% tax. Oh, wow. Right. So it's, it, it's, it's ridiculous. You know what I mean? Like, so like, and it's just like, again, capital gains is 25%, right? So I pay myself on dividends, which is capital gains. Yeah. So you're right. So, so you're telling me Canada, it's 12.5% no matter what it makes on yeah. the corporation. Remember when you get back, when you withdraw it, yeah, you, you withdraw it on the, uh, on your personal income tax. Yeah, but so the corporation itself pays the 12.2. When I take out money, then I'm paying whatever, whether it's 54% or whatever it but is. You could, uh, you could expense so much of your life through the corporation. Uh, yeah. It, there's a lot of rules and restrictions. We have more rules and restrictions yeah. here than the America does. Uh, like, I mean, I, it, it's for lack of better description, it's a bitch to take out money in our corporation. Yeah. Here. You know what I mean? In comparison to over there, right? It's a it's a bitch here. Every, there's so everything is so regulated, rules and regulations and nonsense, and that that, that everywhere you turn, you you, you got a wall that you got to knock down somehow. Gotcha. It's uh like even food. You got like our food business, our restaurants. They have so many friggin' licenses and, and uh, licenses and inspections and whatever uh, and regulations that their biggest expense isn't employees. Their biggest expense is the damn friggin' regulations. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's so ridiculous. So uh, they let you off the hook on one side, they nab you on another side. But the point I'm getting at is it's still better than the income tax that you pay by getting paid to you, you know, directly 
from the employer. Yeah, because you can keep it there and invest it back in your business and hopefully not. Correct. And now even my dividends payment every year, I pay myself 46 grand a year dividend. Yeah. Well, that's taxed at 25%. Yeah, but at the end of the day, that's that's nothing. Because the goal is, is to have low expenses and be able to save enough for the future. I mean, that's what you really want if you can pull it off. Because if, if you're if you're trying to get people run into this rat race of trying to make more and more income, it's like it's not making more and more income. It's keeping your expenses low and yeah, transferring it into assets that over time make it so you don't have to work. Well, that's the thing, right? The best thing to do is uh, survive on your income and build your, your future on your investments, right? Too many people think they're going to earn their way to riches. And that is the worst plan you could ever possibly have. You know what I mean? Because you're never going to earn the amount that you need to get to that rich. And even if you earn it, you'll be taxed it so much that you'll never be able to keep it. Yeah. So between the two, it doesn't work. Now, that's why real estate works, because the asset is constantly growing. And that gives you that gives you the opportunity to save. That gives you the opportunity to earn more wealth and to build more, you know, like assets. And you can always take out loans on that equity, which are tax-free because you can't charge taxes on loans. Like one way to do that, if you have a property that uh, you bought for $200,000 and it's been 10 years and I'll just say it's worth $500,000, you've probably got about $350,000 of equity. They allow you to take up to 80%. So 500,000, that's 100 you can't take. So 400, you can get up to $400,000 loan. Guess what? Take the $400,000 loan and uh, after a year, and this is if you want to dispose it. After a year, you dispose of it, pay back the money, and you've took your money out in cash You know, through the loan that you deposit in your bank account. Guess what? That loan is not taxable. The loan gets paid back by the sale. The money you took out is non-taxed. There's the money you want without paying the tax. Wow, so- this is the crazy thing. I was just running numbers and everything in Canada for for basically people in the United States that make over for if you're doing an individual, anybody that makes over about one hundred eighty thousand dollars, you guys pay an effective lower tax rate like like than we do in the United States. And we don't have any social programs. This is the thing. We don't pay taxes because that hundred that, you're talking about the corporate tax. Well, no. So you got the twelve point five percent. So you get to keep that. And then you have to pay the 25% when it comes out. So that, but, you can, but we're capped. We're not allowed to, I take the maximum I could take, which oh. is $46,000 a year. Now, if you take any more, now you're paying that on income tax. Ah, oh, gotcha. Okay. That's how they get it. Right. So they're, they're, that, that's why I said on paper, we look better, but when you add the rules and regulations, they, they, they built it. Uh, yeah. It's one of those things that if you don't need any money, you'll save more by doing it in our corporation. But if you need money, which most people do, yeah. they nailed you somewhere else. They just look good. Hence the reason why I said at the beginning of the podcast, too many people trying to do stuff to make themselves look good instead of doing good. So, I mean, imagine tax attorneys do really well in in um, Canada. I mean, because it sounds like there's a lot of planning opportunities that are available there to to lower your tax rate if you if you really plan things out well. The possibilities are endless, like anywhere, actually. It's knowing your laws, right? Yeah. Possibilities are endless. A lot of times here, people are sheep. They're programmed. You know, the old go to school, get a good education so you can get a good job, buy your white picket fence and save your money. Keep it in the banks, you know, because they're going to pay you 1%. And, uh, you know, like, we're very stupid. Yeah. 
for lack of a better description. We're very, very stupid. And there's people out there trying to help and people, oh my God, ooh, he's trying to sell me something. Yeah. Right? Like there's so many, so much of that. And I'm sure that goes on. I'm sure that's throughout the world. And that's because we're, we've been programmed so much. Um, too many of us are, again, our standard of living is so high. Our cost of living, not standard of living. Cost of living is so high that it's uh, become almost impossible to even put a dollar away. Forget, even if that plan of saving your money and putting it in the bank was real, by the time you pay all your bills and take out everything and then pay the tax, there's really almost nothing left for you. Yeah, like so, I learned something for a very wealthy client once that really taught me something. And it was, uh, I quoted him my fee to do the work I was going to do. And he didn't hire me because it was too low, he said. <laughs> he said, you don't value what you do enough you don't believe what you're giving me is actually, I'm going to go find, he like, basically don't, I'm going to go find an estate plan attorney that really thinks what he's going to do. And he was very successful. I mean, owned a bunch of business, made a lot of money. And it made me realize like, like sophisticated people pay for help. They, yeah. they will go out and hire people because they know the value of good advice and, and good help. And it really changed my perspective of going, Oh, like people get it. Like, like, uh, that actually have money and have made it themselves. This guy had earned it himself. He knew how money was made. So anyway. Yeah. So anyways, I'm going to get down to the last couple of questions. Then I'm going to go what I call in the lightning round okay. and uh, light a time. So the last, uh, second last question I have for you is how do you know you've had a successful day? And what I do, um, if I have solved a problem that people have been dealing with for a long time, that's what I love to do. Like when people walk in and give me, here's this problem. And because I solved this problem for them, they're actually going to over the long run, you know, save money or, or help them in some significant way. That's the golden spot for me. Love that. All right. Last question, but not least before the lightning round is going to be for anyone watching this or looking for you and wants more information, where would they find you? Uh, I'm a Texas estate planning attorney. You can find me online. You can type in my name, taylorwillingham.com. That will pull up my webpage. Um, or uh, you can call us at 214-250-4407 and get a hold of us that way. Fantastic. All right. First question of the lightning round. What is your favorite food and why? I love Thai food. Uh, rice and meat. That's my favorite food. And I lived in the Philippines for a long time. And I fell in love with rice. Amazing. All right. Favorite, uh, favorite travel destination and why? Uh, the fi my favorite place I've ever been was the Philippines. And that's because I lived there for, for a while. So I love the Phil Philippines is wonderful. Everybody speaks English. They have all the Western stuff. They love Americans and Canadians. And it's a wonderful place to go. Fantastic. Favorite podcast and or book? My favorite podcast and or book. Uh, one of my favorite books, one of the most useful books that I ever read was The Fourth Turning. Um, I recommend that to anybody that helps you understand the cycles of life. And um, my favorite podcast out there right now that I listen to, really, I, I listen to a lot, but I listen it through basically mediums that divide things up. Got so it. there's probably about 40 or 50 that I see all the time. And it's just the topic base. That's like when someone has an interesting topic, but right now I don't know why I'm obsessed with UFO uh, 
podcast. That's interesting. <laughs> I have no idea why I became, but like six months ago, all of a sudden, like I started watching them, and I'm like, I can't stop watching these conversations between these people about UFOs. Maybe it's all about the space thing that that everyone keeps seeing. Elon Musk sending out rockets. NASA sending out rockets. Every other country wants to do rockets. Everyone's yeah. venturing into space, so it's creating, you know. I don't know why curiosity. <laughs> I have no idea why, but it, now they've it just I've gone down that rabbit hole, and I can't. And the the algorithms on all the social media accounts now know this guy watches UFO UFOs. <laughs> yeah, and so it just constantly gives it to me, and I've I've seen way too much. True enough. All right. Last but not least, if you were given unlimited amount of money and 48 hours to spend it. What you spend it on, you get to keep. What you don't spend gets taken away. What would you do? Unlimited amount of money and what I get to spend my money on, I get to keep. Correct. Uh, I, I would buy some very expensive real estate. That's generating income. <laughs> it keeps the flow going. Yeah. All right. Taylor, this has been phenomenal, and I love the conversation. I want to say thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you for having, and thank you for giving me a view of Canada. Like, I, I was a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea you guys were going through so much. So, yeah, yeah, uh, it's a cycle, right? And things go up and down all the time. So, awesome. If you like what you saw and you want to see some more, subscribe to the link below. Thanks for tuning in to the Job Papaloni Show.